Section 4 of Worker Classification, Employee Status under the National Labor Relations Act, the Fair Labor Standards Act, and the ABC Test by John A. Shimabukuro of the Congressional Research Service. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fair Labor Standards Act The FLSA requires an employer to pay an employee a minimum wage, as well as overtime compensation at a rate of not less than one and one-half times an employee's hourly rate for hours worked in excess of a 40-hour work week. Section 3E1 of the FLSA defines the term employee simply to mean any individual employed by an employer. Courts have construed the term to exclude independent contractors. Whether an individual is an employee or independent contractor is often a threshold question that must be answered to determine whether the FLSA's requirements apply. In Rutherford Food Corporation v. McComb, the U.S. Supreme Court observed that the existence of an employer-employee relationship quote, does not depend on isolated factors, but rather upon the circumstances of the whole activity, unquote. In Rutherford Food, the court concluded that a group of slaughterhouse workers were employees of a meatpacking company after considering a variety of factors, including the use of the company's premises and equipment to complete the relevant work. In subsequent decisions, the court maintained that the economic reality of a working relationship will determine whether an individual should be considered an employee or independent contractor for FLSA purposes. Federal appellate courts have generally identified six factors as particularly probative for evaluating the economic reality of such a relationship. One, the nature and degree of an alleged employer's control as to the manner in which the work is to be performed. Two, the alleged employee's opportunity for profit or loss depending upon his managerial skill. Three, the alleged employee's investment in equipment or materials required for his task or his employment of workers. Four, whether the service rendered requires a special skill. Five, the degree of permanency and duration of the working relationship. Six, the extent to which the service rendered is an integral part of the alleged employer's business. Because the economic reality test is fact-specific, workers in similarly labeled positions have sometimes been classified as employees covered by the FLSA, but in other instances, they have been considered independent contractors. For example, janitors have been classified as employees as well as independent contractors after applying the economic reality test. In Boulage v. Willamette Real Estate and Management Company, a janitor who provided maintenance, landscaping, and repair services for the defendant's residential properties alleged violations of the FLSA's overtime provisions. The real estate management company argued that the janitor was an independent contractor who was not subject to these provisions. Applying the economic reality test, the federal district court in Boulage contended 
that all six of the relevant factors weighed in the janitor's favor. For example, the court noted that the company exercised control over the manner of the janitor's work by instructing him to perform specific duties, setting his work schedule, monitoring the quality of his work, and disciplining him when his work did not meet expectations. The court also found that the janitor did not possess an opportunity for additional profit or loss because his compensation consisted of a fixed salary and a rent-free apartment at one of the properties. In contrast, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit concluded that another janitor was an independent contractor and not an employee for purposes of the FLSA. Like the janitor in Boulage, the janitor in Barlow v. C.R. England argued that the defendant, a trucking company that operated a maintenance yard, violated the FLSA's overtime provisions. The defendant contended that the janitor provided his services as an independent contractor, particularly because he formed his own cleaning company and provided his services pursuant to an agreement between the parties. Applying the economic reality test, the Tenth Circuit acknowledged that some of its factors supported the janitor's position, while others favored the trucking company. For example, the court noted that the company, and not the janitor, provided cleaning supplies for the work. Ultimately, however, the court determined that the janitor was an independent contractor. The court found that the relationship between the trucking company and the janitor did not involve employment, but instead resembled a business relationship the company would have with any other cleaning service. The court also acknowledged the janitor's freedom to determine how he would accomplish his work. Rather than being an employee of the trucking company, the plaintiff, quote, was in business for himself as a janitor, unquote. Finally, how a hiring entity characterizes the individual will not determine a worker's employee status. In Scantland v. Jeffrey Knight, Inc., a 2013 case involving technicians who installed and repaired cable, internet, and digital phone services, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit observed that its inquiry into the working relationship was, quote, not governed by the label put on the relationship by the parties or the contract controlling that relationship, but rather focuses on whether the work done, in its essence, follows the usual path of an employee, unquote. End of section four.